0: Hello users, I'm Nimi,
1: I'm Simrit. and I'm Nafisa,
0: and you're listening to Decode Podcast. If you're new, Decode Podcast is a user experience design podcast that embodies the design world from undergraduate UX students' perspectives. Decode Podcast focuses on creative topics and how it affects our everyday lives. The podcast hopes to aim for distinctive designers, POV, and producing UX design conversations in fun and casual language. If you're a regular user to our podcast, welcome back, and thank you for tuning in. Today, we have Abby Goodrum. She is Laurier's UX program coordinator, media researcher, a blues musician, and a certified lady ladybelts. For the entire Deco podcast team, she was our very first introduction into the UX world. Abby is the face of the UX design program at Laurier, and we're excited to have her here today as our first guest. Welcome, Abby. How are you? Thanks. I'm great. (laughs) Thanks for having me. How are you holding up during this unprecedented time?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm about as well as can be expected, right? Like Mm -hmm. I miss, I miss you guys.
3: (laughs) I miss those classrooms and doing all of our exercises with you. I
2: know. And you know, my sewing machine is still in the maker lab and I haven't been able to sew anything since lockdown. So kind of a bummer i i guess i didn't realize how much you know uh, like if i had a free minute i would go into the maker lab and and you know just muck about (laughs) for for fun, just to you know take a break and um and i really have all of that gear here like i don't have well i don't have my sewing machine and i don't have soldering irons and i don't have i don't have a 3d printer for sure
0: (laughs) so abby if Someone who you just met had no idea what UX is, how would you describe it to them? What is your definition of UX?
2: Yeah, before I answer that, I have to say I, I really enjoyed your first episode where you guys were kind of wrestling with that as well. And I loved your second episode where you talked about imposter syndrome. Like both of those resonated with me so much. Because, you know, even though I know, I, I feel like I have a, a good uh a good handhold on how to describe UX design. Like every year, except for the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but every year I would go to Ontario University Fair and, you know, i talk to just thousands of potential students and their families and, you know, and everyone wants to know, well, what is it? It's getting easier though. I, I noticed that in the Toronto Star uh, yesterday, there was an article about a millennial, they said, who... Uh, was basically uh, taking UX courses. He'd lost his, he'd been laid off twice. And so now he was gonna enroll in UX classes so he could retool. So, you know, it's starting to come more into the mainstream, but yeah, it's it's never easy. So the easiest, I mean, if you want the simplest definition from for me would be UX design is designing products or software, or services, or spaces, or any kind of thing that human beings can experience, and this is the most important thing, doing that from a user driven perspective. And I think that's really the key thing because you know, graphic designers and product designer, you know, product developers and industrial designers and engineers, and you know, there are whole loads and loads and loads of people out there who build things and design things to make them pretty or you know to get a job done, but they don't always incorporate all of the aspects of user research that we do. And I so I really feel like that participatory design, that that UX research piece. That iterative prototyping and testing, always doing you know, researching and fixing it, but with user input constantly along the lines, I think that's the thing that that sets UX apart and it's what makes it super valuable, right? It's why there's a, a really big return on investment when you do things this way. That's how I say it. <laughs> and then I have like a whole host of, you know, like analogies and metaphors that I use. Like I, I think you all have probably heard me talk about, you know filling the windshield wiper fluid in my car like a million times so I won't I won't you with that one again but I that reson, that seems to resonate with certainly the parents that I
1: talk to
0: that's good to hear hopefully I could tell my parents that and understand <laughs> because they still have no idea what I'm doing oh I just say I'm in design school they're like oh okay
2: yeah, but like, you know, when you say, oh, I'm I'm going to school to learn to be a designer, people, I think they automatically assume that that means graphic design, which I mean, fair enough, you guys learn a lot of graphic design, you have three semesters of graphic design. So it's not like we don't think that's important.
1: Yeah, shout out to Bill. Yeah, I know. I actually quite remember introducing my parents to UX design because it was something I wanted to switch over to from my first year to my second year. And I'm not sure if you remember our little meeting when I was asking you all about, you know, what it's about. You gave me some pretty cool insight about it and right then I was just, you know, hooked onto the whole idea of user experience. Now, bringing that definition back home was a little tough to convince my parents for sure because they didn't understand what it was. Yeah. But, you know, once they got an idea my dad especially he wouldn't stop researching about it and he just you know he started sending me ux articles (laughs) instead of the other way around and just like since then he's just you know his interest peaked and now he's getting to learn a little about it too and i think my favorite part about that is that he just brags it to all his friends that That i mean (laughs) he just goes you know like, oh, my daughter is in UX design and it's all tech and program and it's everything involved. It's so cool and it's so new and, you know, she's the future. <laughs> you know, well, it's just, you know it's,
2: tell your dad, he, it's never too late to learn. He can come. He can, he
1: can get this degree too. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I'm actually trying to convince him. It's Like, you know, there's so many ways you can improve your experience. Like, why don't you just join me? <laughs> It'd be yeah. pretty awesome to have a dad and daughter to just do the same thing. Yeah, especially since, you know,
2: designing for our generation, your your parents and my generation, I'm, I might be a little bit older than your dad, but it's, uh, it, there's like, there's some special challenges in that because I agree. Yeah, we didn't all, we didn't all grow up, you know, using cell phones. I guess the biggest challenge I have is that I'm always trying to explain to people that even though UX design is mostly digital design and it's mostly screen-based design and certainly the way it's taught in other universities that's the focus but you know we're broader than that we see that well sure there may be a digital touch point to just about every service or product that you use but it's not only you know that like so if you're taking immersive design there might be a digital touch point a screen-based touch point but there might not and service design, same thing, right? So that's the thing that I find is the most challenging. I, I find that people kind of get, you know, oh, this is about making software more usable, right? They, they kind of get that, but they don't always get that. It doesn't have to be digital.
1: There is actually been a little debate between me and my peers who are in STEM sometimes we just go back and forth it's like well is UX design a STEM subject or liberal arts or you know it's kind of everything in one right yeah it's STEAM it's STEAM STEM with the A right add the arts Mm
2: -hmm. to it and you're right on it because I mean it's there's a goodly amount of of psychology right but there's also a goodly amount of sociology and You know sort of business strategy so yeah business school comes in like business classes come into it too but yeah there's there's enough programming to be dangerous
0: (laughs) yeah i read an article i think it's written by naomi klein about how big corporations are taking are profiting a lot off of the pandemic and she wrote tech provides us with powerful tools but not every solution is technological which kind of reminds me of like, not everything has to have a digital touch to it, not experience has to have a digital touch to it.
2: Yeah, I mean, think about how much all of us miss being able to just bump into each other in the hallway, or pull somebody over, like that you, you know, like, and say, hey, would you take a look at this really quickly? I've been noodling around on this for the last hour, and I'm stuck, right? Like, those kinds of serendipitous collisions, they're are kind of hard to make happen in this, you know, remote environment that we've set up for ourselves. I There's a group of students in Capstone this this year who are doing a project for a client. I think I can't name the client. I think I I have to be careful about what I say, but the client basically is trying to look at what it's going to be like, what the future of work is going to be like in a post-pandemic world where, you know, some people have really embraced and enjoy working from home at least part of the time. They, they like that flexibility. Others hate it, didn't like it. Their mental health suffered. So what kinds of tools and what kinds of services and scheduling and HR processes are we going to need going forward? So they're working on that. And, and you're right. It's, it's as much social and Non, non-digital as it is digital needs. There's all kinds of things that come into play.
3: Yeah, especially with the, the remote work and not being able to pull someone out from the hallway. I think that's what I miss the most. And I feel like that's what I've just been craving during this online stuff on online school. Like I miss just going into the Maker Lab and just doing work and just having, it's just that experience of having students around you and just having, always having a resource to go to for help kind of thing. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I mean, it's not like I get to know what you guys are feeling and going through all the time when we're face to face, but at least I have a little bit more of a clue. So if I'm teaching a class online, you know, maybe 25% of the students will have their screens on. And there's a whole host of reasons why people might not want their screens on. I mean, they're still in their jammies or their room is a wreck, you can see mine, is a wreck, or they're embarrassed about their surroundings or i mean there's all kinds of reasons they're they're shy they don't want to see themselves they've had too many hours online already they can't do another hour of zoom where they see themselves i mean there's just lots of reasons but if i don't see faces i don't know if people are hurting like it's really hard i mean not that i necessarily can tell just by looking at you but it's definitely you can kind of tell us somebody's you know, like if they're sobbing uncontrollably or something, right? And uh, so I miss, yeah, I miss that. And I worry that because we're not seeing each other in the hallways and in classrooms, I worry that some of y'all might, you know, be falling through the cracks. And and you know, if that's the case, I wanna I wanna intervene and and offer support, right? That I mean, we're a small so group, much. right? We're we're a small yeah. enough you know program that if I don't know what's going on, at least one of y'all will know what's going on with somebody.
3: And honestly, the profs that we have are amazing. Like they're all super supportive. They're always asked, like, let me know if I can help you in any way, reach out to me at any time and I'll come back with anything that you need. Yeah. That kind of support definitely makes it so much easier to be navigating this online landscape of education. It it just makes you feel more supported and loved by the people who you're working with.
2: We have the greatest profs. I'm not, I'm not lion. I mean, there's not there's not a data mono. There's not one that doesn't care. That might not be true for all programs. <laughs> I can't speak to any other programs, but I know that. And maybe it's just the nature of design and, and UX design. Maybe it just attracts people that care.
3: Well, all of our profs are definitely creating a great experience for us to be going through. Well, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. That's,
2: that's good to know. Because I know that certainly I felt like a complete failure when I shifted gears to remote only. I tried one thing after another and nothing I was doing felt very positive to me. I wasn't happy with my own work and the way I was doing it. And probably my students weren't loving it either. Nobody really loved it, I, I think. So it's been hard on the profs too. So it's nice to know that, that you guys uh, think that they were doing a good job.
0: Yeah, like moving learning online. I'm sure it's hard on everybody. So as you, as the professor and the program coordinator, I'm sure it's even harder of a task because us as students, we just hop onto Zoom and just listen to the lectures and carry on with assignments we have. But with you guys, UX is such a collaborative work. Yeah. And we're so used to group work and being together. So I'm sure it's definitely hard, but so far, so good.
2: Well, and, you know, I mean, you, you definitely know that for some of our international students, it's been super hard. I mean, how do you do group work and how do you have client meetings?
1: (laughs) You know, Nafisa knows. (laughs) I won't lie. I was pretty bummed when I had to come back because I was really looking forward to starting my first year officially as a UX major in the campus. Yeah, I know. I I mean, were you going to get a house? I was initially but you know now I had to be back at home I'm doing classes in Dubai and I'll say the most interesting part is still running on the Canadian time zone while I'm in Dubai so (laughs) it's a little tough but I would say when I compare it to the Canadian time I feel pretty productive because every day I would wake up possibly at 6 7 a.m Canadian time which would be about 3 to 4 p.m in my local time <laughs> yeah. and you know just go on about my day and you know it's in a way it helps to keep me in track so. yeah yeah that's got to be a lot of juggling though because you're in design thinking
2: too right now aren't you mm-hmm. yeah, Lorraine right. yeah so that means that you're meeting with your client you're meeting with your group and you're meeting with your class so you've got three oh yeah. and your clients probably have ideas
1: about what works for them <laughs> I won't lie. The meetings are endless. It's yeah. <laughs> throughout my day. It's just meeting after meeting. And plus, you know, I am participating in the design challenges and such. So, you know, it's a completely packed day, but you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. It keeps me busy and I love what I'm doing. Yeah. So, you know, this, the sort of passion, I am so thankful for it.
2: Ah, So you're doing the design challenge
1: too. Yes, ma'am. Are you are you in it to win it? Do you have a good team? Oh, oh, yes. We have the dream team. Okay. I think we're... <laughs> <laughs> That's been super fun to run, I have to say. It, it's kept me busy, but I've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it as well. It did pose a question I do want to ask you. How do you like navigate in UX design as a female designer? I I want to I mentioned that because so far, most of my group projects I've been in, I am the only Woman. Really in my project. Yes.
2: because we're pretty balanced gender uh, balance in uh, in our program not by any activity on my part. it just turns out that
1: way. I mean it, it's probably just random selection. I just ended up being the only <laughs> girl in the group.
0: <laughs> yeah, I relate to Nafisa as well, but so far so good, but yes, I am the only girl as well in my in some of my groups.
2: Wow, are you guys picking your own groups?
0: I believe. We get to ask who we want to be in a group with and who we don't want to be in a group with. But I'm also the part, whatever works out best works out.
2: Yeah, I always wonder about whether it would be better for me to make the groups or better to let the students pick their own groups. Because sometimes I see a a group come together and I'm like, oh, mm, I wouldn't have put you guys together. You're all like, you know, front end people, and you need some, you know, like I would, I would make teams based on kind of like you need a little of this skill and you need a little of that skill, and but but at the same time, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to like force people to work together if they don't like each other. So there's that too. I what I would say about being a woman. Here's what I've noticed from my side of the desk of the of the classroom that makes me nuts. And that is, I notice in first year, like right away, when I, when y'all come to me from high school, I notice that it's the guys in the class who, regardless of what they know, and quite frankly, when I first get you guys from high school, you don't know a lot. It's not your fault. You know, you haven't studied UX before, right? So the, the young women in my classes starting right away from first year tend to not speak out. They don't, they don't step up and own the space. They don't put themselves out there, you know, loud and proud. Whereas the young men in the classroom, whether they know it or not, will just fake it till they make it. And they'll be bold and brash and out there about it. Like, hands up, even if I don't know the answer, I'm going to answer. I'm going to explain it all to you, whether I actually know what I'm talking about or not. And I really you know i want more of that from from the young women and and but if i call on you you know to try to make that happen then i get like eye rolling and oh the teacher's horrible and she's mean so you know there's a real it's difficult like i'm trying to get y'all to talk and to step up and own it and to lead and you're letting the guys take it a lot of times this is probably not as true now that you're in second year because An an amazing transformation seems to take place with all of the students kind of between, kind of by this time, like by about the end of second year, I notice that the shift takes place. And some of my young men and sometimes young women too, who are just kind of, they're gonna jump to the solution before they've actually done the user research. Some of that gets toned down by about the end of second year. So you've been through enough design failures where you realize, oh, I should have maybe listened a bit more. And at the same time, some of the young women who maybe didn't own their ideas and own their, their perspectives early on are starting to say, hey, I, I do know what I'm talking about here. Maybe, maybe not as much as you know somebody who's a professional out in the, in the workforce for five years, but I know it as well as my peers. And sometimes better. And so there's a little shift that takes that does seem to take place by about this point. By third year, it's amazing how much leadership you see, like what I would call empathetic, user-centered leadership from both, from everybody, from all, all students. So that's that's kind of what we want, right? It's where we would like to be. By the end of third year, I would hope that you would all be, be there. I mean, you guys have taken this project on. Like, you know, that's kind of, that's pretty leadery.
3: No, definitely. I feel like as the program's going on, we've definitely all, me especially, like, not me especially, but I feel in myself that I have had more confidence with raising my voice. So when Mimi started this podcast and she was talking to everyone about it, recruiting and stuff. I was like, this is a really good opportunity to grow and just get comfortable sharing your voice, right? Because it's hard to, especially starting off in a new program, moving to a new city. It's like, it's hard to have that level of confidence when you just start out, but especially going through getting comfortable with everyone and just learning. It's been a good process.
2: Well, you know, when you, y'all talked about the imposter syndrome and you know, that doesn't go away, right? I mean, you're going to, you know, you're going to have that for the rest of your lives and not because you're women, like Everybody has it. It's just, we don't always talk about it.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's something you don't want to admit to not only yourself, but to other people as well, that you're not validated in your own work. Kind of going back to what Simrit said about the podcast, shout out to Edwin, that he has his own YouTube vlogs, like Day in the Life of a UX Student. I and love it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then I always try to find content like that just to keep myself focused and centered in UX and not go off and watch other YouTube videos. That doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, just to give people a voice within UX because it's been around for so long, but people still don't know about it, but especially as a girl.
2: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of topics in UX that people are just starting to talk about openly that we haven't talked about a lot. So one of those is diversity in UX and diversity in design in general you know, it's something we haven't really talked a lot about uh, until very recently. And there are inequalities in in the design world. And as a result, there are often unintentional biases that are designed into products and services and, and softwares. So, yeah, so, you know, equity, diversity, these are issues that they're starting to come up. And I would, you know, for sure, like us to increase not only the diversity of our of our faculty, but also the diversity of our students. But I'm, you know, I'm 60, I'll retire in five years. So you guys need to like, you know, make sure that I'm replaced by, you know, a
1: person of color, like it's time, it's way time, way past time. I won't lie, after first semester, I got tired of being talked over by by my group. So I wanna say that starting this podcast did help me like gain confidence and it's like a space to just talk about everything that we just want to say and this semester I'm just I'm ready to not take any you know (laughs) take anything (laughs) it's time to get a little mean and you know lately I've been finding myself telling my group my group like yeah I'm speaking right now so don't speak over me you know and And I'm really, and I'm really glad, like, and I don't, at this point, you know, it's time to just let go of that stigma or just not care if you're being inconsiderate or rude because, you know, people get, you know, people are talking over you unintentionally and sometimes you just have to call them out on it, you know? So yeah, it's just like a pretty neat opportunity to finally like realize yourself and, you know, know what you deserve and know what you can do in a situation like that yeah
2: yeah oh god yeah you know there's an organization called ladies who ux and they've got a a chapter in london ontario that's pretty active they've they've come and talked to some of our classes before i don't know if they ever came and talked to you guys but that's a nice uh, place to network right with other women in ux and i i'm a big proponent of you know women helping women and networking and to, to get what you deserve?
0: I'm in the Facebook group for women in UX or ladies in UX, but I, I haven't been on the group for a while, but just watching them, like just post resources and generally posting events just made me realize like how much I really do want to be a part of UX and its whole industry. Kind of like what Nafisa said, we're not taking up crap anymore just because yeah, we're, we're kind of tired of being speaking over and then once somebody talks, it's like, oh, I have to shut myself down to let them finish when really I should really finish what I'm trying to say because I believe my point is valid and it's helpful, especially towards the project as well for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you have to own your own knowledge and be confident in yourself and not let people step all over you.
0: Yeah, which brings me to the question, how did you start the UX program here at Laurier.
2: Yeah, so I had been the vice president for research at Laurier. And then when I stepped down from that position, I then found myself in a, in a weird position of being a full professor, but not of any in a program, like there were no programs that were what I do. So I was in digital media and journalism, which was a pretty close fit when I, and I enjoyed being in that program, but it wasn't quite what I what I know and what I do. So I knew I needed to start my own program. Lesson one: Don't wait for somebody else to give you what you need. Make it happen. Build if if the ladder's not there, build the, build the scaffolding as you're climbing up the wall.
0: <laughs> there's this quote I always keep in the back of my head. I think it goes: If there's no opportunities for you, then build that opportunity. That's yeah. where I kind of saw this podcast as well.
2: Yeah. Nobody else is going to do it for you ever in this world, right? So you just got to go out and make things happen for yourself sometimes. Or the things that are out there aren't, they just not a good fit, right? So you have to make a good fit. Or you have to suck it up and say, okay, I'm going to do something else with my passion. (laughs) I won't look for it in my job. I'll make something else happen. Yeah, so I uh, getting a new program uh, off the ground in 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 Canada in Ontario anyway. There's a, a lot of levels that you have to go through, permissions. You know, you have to you have to get all kinds of approvals, and you have to demonstrate that it's going to be financially viable, and you have to demonstrate that there's a market for it, and you know. So that was kind of difficult because nobody, of course, it. it the university knew what UX was. I was told outright that like the recruiting folks said, well, we could never recruit for this because nobody knows what it is, Uh, right? Like, how could we possibly find students, you know, going to high schools and talk about this? Because no one in the high schools, the high school counselors don't know what this is, and we don't know what it is. And so it can't happen. So, you know, I had to, I had to work to, like we interviewed about 200 or more uh, interviewed and surveyed and focus group um, UX professionals in North America and also in Denmark. So, cause I had a sabbatical in Denmark and they do UX there. Yeah, so I started by getting their perspective on what needed to be in a curriculum, where, where the curriculum could be, not based on what, you know, people were doing there. And then I, uh, I crafted curriculum, and we did a UX process to actually make the curriculum. So we we put together uh, like uh, you know focus groups. We crafted curriculum out to the advisory group and had them you know go through it and give me feedback. And anyway, we finally got the Ministry for Colleges and Universities. I can't remember the, the name of the actual name, but anyway, we got official. Provincial approval. And then I started working with our recruiting unit with Craig Chips and his team. And I trained all the recruiters. I went to every Ontario University fair myself because I didn't have any faculty. And I worked for three days just shaking every hand I could, talking to every parent I could. And then gradually I went and trained other units in the university so that they understood what we were doing as well. Yeah. And I had to go back and do that every year because you'd get turnover and, you know, so just gradually trying to promote from both, both internal promotions as well as external promotions so that there would be mo- more opportunities for us both internally as well as external. And I'm not done. I mean, you know, it's still, there's still a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah. Because right now there's only four years and mm-hmm. like each year is growing. hmm
2: Well, and I'm sure you guys have probably talked to some of the people in their fourth year and who will tell you, oh, you guys have it so easy now. When we started, they didn't know X, Y, and Z. And, you know, Abby had to change this and change that, you know. So they got a lot of iterative prototyping in their curriculum going through. And they're having it happen now because they're the first half of the class is in co-op right now and the other half of the class is in capstone and the half that's taking capstone right now, you know, we're finding things that aren't working. We're finding things that need to be tweaked. So next year, those will be fixed. But yeah, you know, and I feel really bad too. This is the first graduating class and there won't be a graduating ceremony walking across Sanderson Center like graduation in Brantford, it's a beautiful thing. They, they pipe, we have a piper, <laughs> you know, a Scottish bagpiper leads a parade of all the faculty and the students through the streets. All the people in all the houses and, and buildings and apartments and stores and restaurants, they all come out and applaud and you, oh. you parade through the street. And you wrap around one block and then you come in the Sanderson Center. So a piper leads you down the main aisles of that beautiful old, you know, theater. If you've never been in the Sanderson Center, it's it's gobsmackingly beautiful. And it's just a really special event because again, the Brantford campus and you know, the number of students that graduates are not so, it's not so many that it feels distant or cold it feels really like a community it, and it is i mean and but just having like people come out of the shops and the restaurants and the apartments it's great
3: yeah that sounds absolutely magical i didn't know that's how graduation was yeah. describing i'm like oh my god it's amazing yeah like- and everybody's robed you know <laughs> you're carrying the big mace <laughs> Like you're graduating from Hogwarts, like all oh, the magic everywhere. Got the outfits and everything. I know, you, Like you should see
2: my robes; they're pretty cool. I've got the funny hat that has like the tassel. It's, oh, it's fabulous. Absolutely. And one welcome. year, I one year I volunteered to be the mace bearer, and I did not know how heavy that thing is, and I couldn't. I, like it's a you know, like we parade around like one of the long blocks, so I was definitely you know having some trouble at the end there (laughs) and you have to wear these funny white gloves too and I was terrified I was going to drop the mace (laughs) anyway
0: back to what you said about co-op because around that time I believe when everything was locked down that was when the third years going into fourth years were reaching out for co-op yeah
2: opportunities yeah that was is it a little that was hairy (laughs) yeah yeah like I mean I don't know I mean in retrospect I I needn't have worried because companies have never needed UX designers more than they do during the mm-hmm. pandemic like raised everybody's awareness oh my god we have to fix this stuff and we can all be done remote yay but yeah we didn't I didn't know that at the time right so I had like uh, two of my students two of our your your peers had like early offers for their co-ops so they had already like signed their contracts by like February like it was already a done deal like oh okay we're done we'll start our jobs in May ha, ha. and it was with some super large company too I can't like a like a you know a big one and then March came and the, that company withdrew their offers said we're not going to do co-op we you know everything's going to be a pandemic it's all locked down we don't we can't imagine how it will work and so then I panicked I needn't have because both students immediately like one of them I don't even think had to go back into the official co-op pool one of the people that he'd interviewed one of the organizations that he'd interviewed with prior back in January they heard through the grapevine that he had had his job taken away They reached out to him and said, oh, are you available? We'd love to have you. You So and then the other one, like put his name back in the pool and was snatched up in just like no time. So like a couple of weeks, maybe. So it all worked out great. Everybody who wanted a job got a job. A couple of the students, it did take them up into the second round um, into the summer. But they all got hired and they're all. At least they tell me they're all loving their work. So, yes. Yeah, so.
0: <laughs> Especially since we're about to enter third year soon.
2: Yeah, so the students who are going into co-op the second tranche, they're already hired. Everybody already has their jobs. So, oh, there might be one, wait, there might be one that we're still waiting on the contract to get signed. So, but like they they got their jobs early and easily and done.
0: That's good to hear from them because you still look at them and their portfolios and be like, wow, they're real professional UX designers, but I'm sure they're still stressing out about every little thing as well.
2: Every single one of them has the same feeling of, oh my God, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm about to go to work and they're all gonna, and everyone's gonna know that I don't know what I'm doing, which, you know, says every person I've ever met at any stage in their career ever. So
0: I'm in the Lux publication with Alyssa being the head editor, I think yeah. that's for editor in chief. And I told her, oh, like, I'm so sorry, writing isn't my best asset. She's like, it's okay. This is the kind of thing where you just kind of learn on the job. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is like what really UX is. As though I'm learning everything remotely during school, the actual learning I apply that to and learn more from comes from the actual job site.
2: Yeah, I I think that's, that's true. I mean, I keep telling all of y'all from day one, there's no recipe. There's no recipe. There's no recipe. If there was, I don't know. (laughs) But there's not. So... You have, to, you have to be open to making, uh, making things happen yourself. And you have to be open to listening to other people to find out what their needs are, what their pain points are. And that's not just true, like listening to users. It, it's also true of listening to, you know, co and team workers and your bosses and your profs. You know, your profs have pain points. Your bosses are going to have pain points. You want to you wanna help them, and you want to make your your career better you know figure out what your boss's needs are and figure out how to help her you know with with something that she's struggling with suddenly you're going to be a really valuable employee
1: that's honestly really comforting to hear cuz once upon a time i would think that you know there is a specific age where people suddenly know what they're doing because, you know, you look, you look at your adults or role models or people who have more experience than you. And then you think, wow, they know so much. When do I get to that point? <laughs> like, like, would it be a clicking moment? Or would it be, you know, would it just come to you? Would it, you know, it's, it's, you know, it gives you, it makes you think a lot. And then at some point, you just, when you once you get there, you realize that everyone around you actually, they're all in the same position as you. They're learning as they go. And it's just, you know, a complete like ongoing process. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think I think the older you get and the more experience you get, um, certainly you know more things and you know how to do more stuff more easily, you know, you do, but it also never stops. So the more I learn, the more I realize what i still have not learned right i mean I, I would hope that that would be true for the rest of my life because i never want to stop learning i never want to i never want to get to a point where i'm not bringing a beginner mind to a new task it kind of regularly right otherwise i'm going to get i don't know stuck i'll become a fossil
1: i think what most people think or they tend to see that, you know, learning is like a tangible process when in reality it's not. It's just really, it's hard to, it's hard to measure for sure. And a lot of people just, you know, they think like, okay, well, I'll get there one day where I know every single little thing and then I won't have any problems. And, you know, I'll be that expert. But, you know, the truth is like, what you just mentioned, it's it's just an ongoing process. And I feel like it would be nice if everyone could get comfortable with that sort of mindset, I feel like it would ease a lot of stress and, you know, high expectations we set up for ourselves. Yeah, I,
2: also, you know, you're still, you're gonna encounter people in the workforce, in, in life, who have imposter syndrome and don't wanna share it. Like they're they are motivated by fear, they're, they're afraid. That if they show that they don't know something that then, you know, you're going to find out that they don't know, right? Or you're going to, they're they're just terrified of people finding out and that being motivated by fear is never good. (laughs) It's just not good. And it'll, it'll cause people to do weird things and act in weird ways to protect themselves that are not useful to them. And certainly not useful to you.
3: So we do have one more question for you. What advice would you have to, to give anyone who's interested in the field of UX?
2: If you're, if you've already got a, a university degree in something, right? And you're trying to transition and you think that UX would be a good thing to do, I would strongly encourage you to you know, look at going for like a two-year program somewhere, a diploma or continuing education certification, but through through a reputable college or university, right? Rather than, you know, people take these like weekend boot camps and, ah, and then they think, you know, like they've had one design thinking course and they think suddenly they're a UX designer and it's laughable, right? Like you guys know there's enough to learn to fill four years and you might still feel like I'm not done learning. So I think it's it's sad when people you know think that all they have to do is take a, a one semester long online course from some entity, which shall you know, there's lots of them out there, and that that's suddenly going to make them a UX designer. The other thing I would say caution is. UX design is rapidly evolving. It's rapidly changing. So if you're in high school and you haven't, and you're trying to decide what degree to go for, I and if you think UX is your thing, you should go and seek out a program that really does UX, not a program that does something else and has maybe a design thinking course or two or systems thinking, you know, like if you want to do UX, I think the days... The days when you could get a UX job and and excel in a UX job without UX training, like 10 years ago, even five years ago, that was true because there weren't programs like ours. But there are increasingly more programs at universities and good college programs, too, that mm-hmm. are like ours. So full four year focus all the time on interaction design or UX design, something like that. And there's, like I said, good college programs too for people who aren't, you know, aren't gonna go the university route. So, but, but I think as these programs, ours, I think ours particularly, graduate more students who have come out and have been trained in graphic design and web design and psychology, you know, and information architecture, you know, once you have all of that, you're going to be competition for people that maybe they got a business analyst degree back in the day Mm -hmm. and they kind of taught themselves a little they had a like a design thinking boot camp right so i think that within the next five to ten years people who go into ux design jobs are going to actually have ux design degrees or interaction Mm -hmm. you know something equivalent Yeah, that's what I think. And I think that the way that UX design is done in organizations is also going to change. The way that it's done now, where you have some people who do UX research and some people who do UX design and some people who do UI, you know, and they're all on different sort of different units and they work together. Maybe they have a stand up meeting once or twice a week, you know, and they have this agile handoff. And all of that is an artifact of, a world where you had to put together a design team from people who came from psych and people who came from uh, computer science and people who came from business and people who might've come from library and information science. So you had people with different training. So you had to make these interdisciplinary work teams sort of, you know, berry picking from all over. And that so that's the structure that we see now in terms of hiring and in terms of how UX is situated within a company structure and also how UX is practiced on a daily basis within you know, different kinds of, of industries. I think all of that is going to change and you guys are the ones that are going to change it. And
0: I think, Abby, you are quite the pioneer for us because I believe Laurier is the first undergrad program with UX, if that's true.
2: It was the first undergrad UX degree. Okay. I will say, though, that there was a four-year, and still is, a really good four-year undergraduate degree, not a diploma, four-year degree at Sheridan in interaction mm-hmm. design that is as good as they come, really. I mean, it's, it's exceptional. It is very much focused on screen-based. Like, it's digital. Oh. So, but they're, they're evolving. They're smart and they're like us. They are evolving. So you're going to see programs like that popping up more and more. Humber has a UX design undergraduate. I don't know if it's a diploma or a four-year degree. It could be four years, but so we're starting to see more of these come about. University of Toronto had a master's degree in information science that you could do a stream. like it, They started, it was a class or two and kind of UX. Now you can do your master's in UX there. They also have a 24-month continuing education program. So for somebody who already has a degree in something and wants to retool. And I think I've looked at that program, at least I've looked at the, the write-up of that curriculum. And I think it's very, very similar to what we do in our minor. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I think these are good programs and I think we're going to see more of them. But yeah, you guys are kind of on the vanguard. <laughs> You're, you're the first to, to, you know, to really come through a program that's, that says graphic design and web programming and psychology, you know, re- research methods and business strategy and immersive and 3D, you know, that really envisions the full range of how UX can play out. That's, that's special. And... And really, you don't have any competition in, in terms of that kind of breadth anywhere yet.
0: Mm-hmm. And like UX design, everything can always improve like the curriculum, the program. It,
2: it needs improve. to, which I mean, I gotta tell you, you've never, you've never seen an, a, an industry that gets stuck in their silos more than universities, right? Mm-hmm. Higher education, it's tough to be nimble in higher education and to make these kinds of constant Iterative tweaks that we know we need to make in order to stay fresh it's not often done in higher education like that's you don't you don't really have to in a lot of a lot of degree programs, but we always will, which is more work quite frankly it's more work.
0: And speaking of higher education, we noticed that in July, it'll be your 10-year anniversary working at Laurier. So, congratulations. Is that right? Oh, my God. Yeah, we were all looking that up and we were like, wow,
2: she's been here for about 10 years. So, well, uh, first, the first four of that, I was a vice president, so I wasn't teaching.
0: <laughs> but um, we just want to say thank you so much for doing all the amazing work you do for building this program that we all love so much and have so much passion for so that pretty much concludes our episode with our very first special guest, our lovely UX mama, Abby. And we hope everybody stays safe, healthy. And for our users to be updated, make sure to follow our Instagram page at Decode Podcast with an underscore at the end. We're on most major platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So be sure to leave us a sweet review and shout out to the lovely team chantal shannon hannah and Fishal. the podcast won't be complete without you all and we update our episodes bi-weekly so stay safe and healthy and thank you so so much abby for having us today
2: yeah thanks guys